0: you see these three marbles? Yeah. I want you to put them in your mouth. Yes, one, two, three. Mm-hmm. Now, don't be alarmed, it's just an exercise.
1: Now then, repeat slowly after me. The shallow depression in the west of these islands is likely to move slowly in a westerly direction. The shallow depression in the west
0: of these islands is likely to move,
1: look.
0: Yeah, we have swallowed one. Don't worry, we have plenty more. The
1: Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin.
0: Hello, Governor. I'm David Do. I am.
1: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Are you going to do this the whole podcast?
0: No, just long enough to make you worry that I might.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and this week, we obviously watched... Pygmalion, starring Leslie Howard and some woman who plays Eliza Doolittle. (laughs) And... I have an incredibly complicated response to this movie.
0: Yeah, me too. I, you know, like my first joking response is like, this could use some musical numbers to jazz it up <laughs> and distract from some of the weird shit in it. But my less joking response is that like, the last third of this movie is so wild. I went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole of the production history of Pygmalion, trying to figure out like, how did that go so wrong? <laughs> And does it always go that wrong? And like, what?
1: Yeah, so I mean, generally, this particular type of story, which is very, well, it's just like horribly misogynistic. And this irate sort of right next to Taming Give the Shrew, I've never liked this story. I've never liked My Fair Lady. I went into this being like, I'm going to hate this movie. And this is going to be me having a big long hate watch discussion. I I liked a lot of it, and I feel weird about it.
0: Well, okay, so here is a way to very easily feel less weird about it, which is, I was always under the impression that George Bernard Shaw fucked this up for everybody, and it took a hundred years and a movie called She's All That to get it right. <laughs>
1: No, okay, to be fair, I love She's All That.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. Because it fixes the problem. But the thing is, the actual original Shaw Pygmalion ends with Henry Higgins not getting the girl because he doesn't deserve her because he's a terrible person. Right. And then everyone immediately starts going, yeah, but they got to make out. (laughs) And what She's All That finally fixes is instead of doing what Shaw does, which is like, Fight and argue and be all pissed that nobody gets his play, which, understandable, goes like, all right, well, if they've got to make out, then all of Act Three has to be about him winning the girl. He has to do something to deserve her. And instead, everybody just goes, and then at the end, they make out. Which is, like, never the intention of Pygmalion, which I had no idea about until, like, last night. Because every single adaptation of Pygmalion, even ones called Pygmalion, including this movie, tack on this happy ending that makes you think that Pygmalion approves of Henry Higgins, which it totally doesn't.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm actually familiar with the Shaw play before this, insofar as I knew that it doesn't end... Well, it does end happily in that Eliza doesn't get back together with Henry Higgins. At least it's left up in the air.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's complicated because there's like eight different endings to the play Pygmalion over the first 20 years that it's out. But yeah.
1: My Fair Lady actually takes its ending, at least from this film, with the Where Are My Slippers ending. Yeah. So uh, here's my issue with it. I in theory, hate everything about Henry Higgins. And I've never particularly liked Leslie Howard in anything that we've seen. He was really good in this and actually made me like, well, like, I enjoyed watching Henry Higgins. I don't want him to be my friend. And I would probably punch him if he were. But he makes the experience of watching this movie actually very entertaining Because he's so good at being such a snob.
0: Yes. I think he gives a great performance for a version of this movie that doesn't have the last two minutes of this movie that are totally unnecessary and kind of ruin the film. He gives a great Henry Higgins that makes you understand why Eliza would stay for as long as she does. Yes, And a great performance to make you understand... What the appeal of this guy is, and also why he is a monster, Yes, he really gives a very committed Henry Higgins performance for a Henry Higgins that doesn't end up with the girl. The movie just then has him end up with the girl.
1: And the Shaw play is much more like a doll's house. Like, it's sort of ambiguous as to what happens and she leaves
0: yeah she leaves and he seems perfectly satisfied with a life where he can be self-satisfied in having made her even though he didn't really do that yes that he doesn't actually need her to celebrate having created Eliza Doolittle which is a damning critique of the dude yeah but pretty in character for who you see for the rest of the film
1: so uh I guess we should explain the plot of this movie which is quite fast, which is lovely.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, it's a joke, but it's it's basically she's all that, except there's this weirdo who really likes dialect instead of this weirdo who's a quarterback (laughs) who's hanging out outside of... Uh, Covent Garden and he's like taking shorthand notes on a woman's dialect and really everybody's dialect, but one, he gets caught doing it with one particular woman who is Eliza Doolittle, who is a flower seller. There's some other characters there, but they're basically unimportant because the important thing in that first scene is that Henry Higgins just offhandedly says he could teach Eliza Doolittle or really any woman off the street how to speak like a proper woman and Actually be taken for a proper society woman in England in six months. And then as a Christian act of charity, but really just a weird flex on his friend he met at the station, he throws a bunch of money at her. And so she comes by the next day to try and get dialogue coaching to essentially take him up on his offer so that she can live a better life than being a flower seller at Covent Garden. She's
1: not aiming that high. She's like, I want to be able to work in a shop. Yeah. In a flower shop instead of the street.
0: Yeah. And at first he's like, I don't want to do that because that's work. And I'm a like upper middle class British aristocrat. (laughs) So I don't have to do that. But then the weird flex thing takes over again and he decides to do it as this bet with his friend. And then they, I mean, essentially all of Act Two is doing that, teaching Eliza. There's a scene where they take her over to Henry's mother's house to try it out. And because he never tells anybody anything because he's a jerk, accidentally there's like a dozen people there. And it's kind of this weird... Mistaken identity scene because she can speak in terms of diction like a proper woman, but all of her anecdotes and stories and everything she wants to talk about betray her lower class origins.
1: Her grammar isn't even correct. She just <laughs> pronounces it very poshly. Right. And the story that she tells about is it her aunt who died of the flu, but she survived diphtheria by drinking gin and that it was probably her dad who actually bumped off her aunt and stole the hat that was supposed to go to her.
0: Yes, that she is very certain that her uncle done him in. Yeah. And that she just tells this long story about her aunt being murdered for a straw hat to a room of upper class aristocrats. And of course, there's this one kind of dopey boy that falls instantly in love with her because she's very attractive and vaguely interesting, unlike everyone else in that room. Yes. And him falling in love with her and the Henry's mom kind of liking her, but also kind of going like, well, this was a terrible inconvenience are the only real plot outcomes of that scene. There's then a second training montage where sheep runs up the steps of the museum in Philadelphia while he quizzes her on the titles that you should call various aristocrats by. I'm only partially joking about that. No, I
1: mean, that is most of it. And then he also teaches her to waltz and how to curtsy.
0: Right. And then there's the big sort of scene where they go to a reception at the Transylvanian <laughs> embassy, which weird pick, but okay. <laughs> like, I know it's a real place, but I also just instantly, I'm like, I mean, pick a place I don't think Dracula is from, <laughs> but like I but, like you can make you can make up that it's from any country <laughs> at various points for various reasons. Henry is worried she has given away the game, but in fact, she charms everyone there to the point where everyone starts making up histories for her,
1: yeah, that she's a Hungarian princess, yes, because she speaks too perfectly to actually be natively English. Right. Only people who don't speak English as their native language and have learned it speak English that perfectly is what the Hungarian some kind of diplomat? Is he a duke? I'm not even sure what his deal is.
0: He's really there as the person who could figure it out. That's his plot function. Right. But he's like some weird Hungarian aristocrat and so he of course decides she must be a Hungarian princess. I'm sort of making fun of this scene but it's actually a really effective scene. It's where the class comedy is most effective in the whole thing. It's where the point that this whole thing is performative for everybody is most clearly shown and most like delightfully shown. And it's a really effective sequence. And I like it a lot. But then the rest of the movie happens because they get home and Eliza figures out that's the end of the bet. Now we're in, I guess, a romantic comedy, but it's not very funny and it's not very romantic.
1: I wouldn't say that it's a romantic comedy. I would say that what we're in is like, it is a beat in a romantic comedy, but it is not the funny or romantic part. It is the fallout beat.
0: Really, I just mean the rest of the movie kind of transforms into this weird and effective romantic comedy. But the start of it is a definitely not comic beat that is this... Huge fight between Eliza and Henry about, like, effectively, what does Eliza do now? Right. And him going, I don't care, something. Like, I I haven't really thought about it you know, you'll be fine. Everybody's fine. I'm British and rich. So I just assume everybody's going to be okay.
1: Yeah. And she essentially gives him the you have taught me your language and my profit on it is I know how to curse <laughs> retort, which is, you know, I wish you'd never taken me out of the gutter. Because now what am I like? Now I speak so well that I can't be a flower seller, so I'm just going to end up being a prostitute.
0: I mean, really worse than that. She says explicitly, like, she never wanted to marry for money, and now that's the only thing she's any good for. The thing that's wild about that is why keep that in the movie? If you're going to do this ending, cut all the parts where she has an incredibly eloquent and well-thought-out explanation for why Eliza would hate this ending, why she would be miserable in it. Just cut those lines if you're going to do this, for God's sake.
1: I actually would say instead of that just fix the ending because this scene is so good and Wendy Hiller who plays Eliza Doolittle whose name I couldn't remember is absolutely heartbreaking yeah she is angry and righteously so and you totally feel every bit of it but you're also like my god this poor woman
0: there's this weird thing this was the other thing I like went down the production history about because um, There's this ambiguous moment that is unambiguous in many, many ways of her giving him back the ring and him throwing the ring into the fireplace with such velocity, it is terrifying, but it is also sh- shot in such a way and she is screaming, don't hit me, that there is a real ambiguity to whether or not he hit her. <laughs> I know in the play, he does not. She is just scared of the violence and anger with which he throws the thing into the fireplace. But there's a very weird sound cue there in the film, and it's shot with them standing very, very close together, where I don't think the intention is that he hit her, but I do think the intention is way more that you think about the possibility that he could or would.
1: I actually rewound it because I thought, like, wait a minute, did he just hit her?
0: Yes, I did too.
1: And he, I, he doesn't, but it... Definitely feels like his intention was to make her think that he was going to. Yeah. Which is still
0: super fucked up. For sure. And like the fact that he immediately goes into... I didn't hit you. You're oh. the one who hit me by hurting my precious fifis. Is like, <laughs> the, is also super fucked up.
1: Yeah, you know what? Actually, uh, it, it is. It, obviously, because it's Shaw, it's much more beautifully stated. But my God, it is exactly that. You hit me in my soul. So it's worse. Right. Oh, fuck you.
0: To the movie's credit, while in the scene, it is not definitive who fuck you. There's this scene where she then leaves in the night and is immediately found by this complete dope that's, I mean, I keep shit talking the guy, but he's kind of the happy ending guy, but he's also kind of clearly a dope. But in a good natured way. Sometimes you just kind of want a good natured dope, you know? It's fine. Yeah. Uh, but he has been pining for her outside of Henry Higgins' apartment for months. <laughs> Which is extremely British.
1: What's really adorable is she's like, you know, what are you doing out here at at this time of night or something like that? And he said, oh, I'm usually here.
0: Yeah, it would be creepy and still a little bit is creepy. But there is this whole sequence earlier in the film during the like training montage where he keeps coming by and keeps being told Eliza is busy and will not see you. And he keeps not taking the hint and continuing to show up. Which is sort of adorable.
1: But of course, no one has actually told Eliza that he's there. Again, like Henry has to control everything in her life.
0: Yeah. But she goes off with him and has a romantic flirtation that doesn't come to anything only because they are repeatedly interrupted by cops.
1: They do kiss twice, but not like make out. They just like, he kisses her and then a cop shows up. And I love it because he says, this isn't Paris. And I immediately thought... (laughs) of one hour with you where they're in Paris at the beginning and the cops are harassing them. And I'm like, you got it wrong about Paris. Apparently the cops also harass you for kissing in public in Paris.
0: Yeah. I I just took that as some classic shit talking France for no reason from England.
1: Oh, no. I mean, absolutely. But my (laughs) thought having done this project was like, oh, but see. (laughs) Yeah. Actually.
0: Yeah, I definitely thought of the exact same scene. The point is, Henry then wakes up and suddenly, when it inconveniences him, realizes there might be some downsides to Eliza being gone. Which is, I mean, like, I'm I'm laughing, but that is very much the intention. That upon realizing that there is a downside for him, he is suddenly very concerned about where Eliza is. Goes off into the streets trying to find her and then eventually just, I guess, out of exhaustion goes to his mother's place. His mother, to her great credit, talks shit about him for like five straight minutes and tells him he's an idiot.
1: There's a really wonderful bit where he says, she threw my slippers at me. And she said, we are lucky that she threw her slippers at you. I would have thrown a fire iron at you. And I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Get it, Miss Higgins. (laughs) (laughs) misses <laughs> <Mrs. laughs>
0: i actually think this is a really smart structural scene cuz the movie makes you sit in that argument for a little while time wise not being sure whose side the play is really on in that fight mm-hmm. you know and you're like oh god i hope it's eliza but like henry gets to have the last word so like maybe the like he like his, and then the mom is just like, no, you're a fuck. If you did that to me, I'd have killed you. Yeah. And you're like, yay, yay. There is a weird thing with Eliza's dad, who we did not talk about from his scene before, because it's a very minor and weird scene. But he came and sold Eliza for five pounds, effectively, to go get drunk Because he's a jerk.
1: Yes, he is.
0: But then Henry, who is also a jerk, decided to to play a prank on an American moral society by saying that the dad was England's most original moralist, and he has now been given £3,000 a year to lecture on morality, (laughs) which is a good bit that the movie doesn't do quite enough with about how it must be hell for Henry Higgins to understand how much this is all performative and how easy the bit is and how nobody actually cares about these class signifiers as much as he does. The movie says some smart stuff in there, but mostly just kind of uses the dad to do a bunch of jokes about being tied down in marriage, which are... Okay? Yeah. But then we get to the really good scene, which is the reveal, so that we don't have to build another set, Eliza is actually at Henry's mom's place. She comes out and has a sort of final confrontational scene with Henry Higgins, where she figures out that the life she's going to build for herself is teaching other people all the stuff that Higgins taught her. That she is going to be a proper English diction teacher and that she doesn't actually need him at all. And then in this thing that I think is supposed to be kind of ambiguous in the play and is even kind of ambiguous in the moment in the movie, he's like, hooray, I did it. You're, you, you've passed my test. You solved my self-assurance riddle.
1: Now I know that I'm great because you can go on and teach other people what I taught you. Right. Which really feels like desperately talking himself out of despair.
0: Yeah. And she goes... Well, all right then, and leaves, effectively, and (laughs) goes off with the kind of dopey guy in his car.
1: And then the movie should end.
0: And then the movie should end. And then there's two minutes of footage shot by a madman (laughs) (laughs) that involves Henry walking home in a daze, and then Eliza popping up. You know, maybe it is like a Jacob's Ladder scenario where that very end scene is just delusional. That he has just, like, lost his mind.
1: Yeah, or maybe he, like, got hit by a car on the way home, and this is just his dream in the afterlife.
0: <laughs> yeah, but the text of the thing it, it doesn't make that clear enough, because you could interpret it as Eliza actually physically came back to him, and he told her to fetch his slippers, and then that's the end of the movie.
1: Well, he doesn't tell her to fetch them. Yes. He says, have you seen my slippers? That was the joke because she had obviously, I mean, she threw them at him.
0: I thought literally the final line was, fetch my slippers, Eliza. Like, I could have sworn.
1: No, it's Eliza, where the devil are my slippers. Oh,
0: where the devil are my slippers. Yeah, yeah. Still bad. (laughs) But at least a callback joke, question mark?
1: It's still a totally dick thing. (laughs) It's like, oh, that's a clever joke, but also you're asking her to wait on you hand and foot so yeah you suck
0: yep 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 i think the sort of we've kind of talked about it as we were going through the plot but like the best parts of this are the parts of this that really acknowledge that Henry Higgins is a jerk, which is a surprisingly large amount of the text of the play, but is even Leslie Howard actually, I think, does a really good job making that clear even in scenes where it, like, wouldn't necessarily be clear in the text of the play. I think of actually that first scene with the dad. That as written, the dad is unquestionably a villain and is the villain of that scene. And it is so easy, I think, to have Henry Higgins be comparatively the hero who is helping Eliza rise up out of penury against this dad. And Leslie Howard makes it clear that like, no, he's still an asshole. He is in the right here, but he spends all of his time being in the right in the worst way possible, the way he always does.
1: I think the dad actually acts as an explanation for why she would put up with this. If all that she knows is this asshole father who drinks away all of their money and who is terrible to her, then by comparison, this probably seems okay okay she's never experienced anything else but abuse yeah which i know is like a really heavy sounding thing and one of the things that is actually really great about shaw's writing and i can praise george bernard shaw for a much longer podcast than this is going to be is that those things come through without being like emotional torture to watch but there is some stuff in this movie that is full-on emotional torture to watch And it is when the film departs from the text. And I mean, like, literally, people aren't speaking, departs from the text. Yeah. There is a part toward the beginning where Henry tells his housekeeper whose name I don't remember.
0: Um, Mrs. Pierce. Yes, thank you. I was one of the two misses that are in the cast list. And I was like, jump to Mrs. Higgins. And I'm like, nope, that's the mom.
1: Yeah. Well, and also it's not Mrs. Ensford Hill because only aristocrats have hyphenated names in England. Right tells her to go and bathe Eliza and to burn her clothes and get her something else to wear. And there's an incredibly overlong scene of Eliza screaming in the bath, Like, just terrified screaming. And she's in a bath, so even though you don't see it, like, she's naked. And it, it was really very, like... It was upsetting. I was like, why are we doing this?
0: She's just constantly screaming because she's just never experienced a bath before. Okay, but like you understand the concept of water. Right, right. It half explains it and half gets into that this is about her upbringing, but mostly just seems like they wanted... It seems like it's supposed to play as a comic set piece and it doesn't at all.
1: I feel like it could have if there was some screaming and then she calmed down. It's like 45 solid seconds of her screaming and hysterically crying and fighting. Right. And a very close up shot of her face and her thrashing around. I really thought, are we going to be sitting through another the Barretts of Wimpole Street style, constant, horrible abuse of a woman? And to be fair, yeah, kind of, except that Eliza is not upset for all of it. She's pretty game for a lot of it. She does want to improve her speech.
0: And I think what you were saying about Shaw, I think, really comes into play here. A lesser writer, really all of Act Two is emotional abuse. And like having a scene where the dad comes in to kind of explain it, but have that be a comic scene is smart. Really the most like, boy, this is just abusive thing is the second montage That was the other time where I was like, this is just hard to watch. Nothing else is going on in this scene. Like Often when that is happening, something else is going on in the scene, or like you say, she's game for it. She's sort of the one pushing to have more action take place. There's a lot of ways they vary it up so it isn't just scene after scene of Henry Higgins being horrible to her, even though... That is what is happening, is scene after scene of Henry Higgins being horrible to her. It does not play out that way, except for a couple of exceptions like the bath scene and, for me at least, the second montage of forcing her until four in the morning to keep drilling all of these aristocratic titles. She's clearly too tired to really be able to do anything. She's asking to stop. She has a headache. It's it's not great. But mostly the movie finds ways around that.
1: Well, I mean, there are times where it is very cleverly put forth that Henry is a uh, empathyless piece of shit that still somehow managed to be funny. Yeah. Like the bit with the marbles. So there's a part where he's teaching her elocution. He says, take three marbles. And she does. And he says, put them in your mouth. And then she puts them in her mouth. And then he has her say something. And whatever the line is that he gives to her... It goes on for quite some time. So like you hear him say it and then you're like, okay, great. And then there's a comma and then there's more and then there's another comma. So then she's trying to say these things with her mouth literally full of marbles and then has like a uh, and then spits it to her hand and she goes, oh, no, I swallowed one of them. And his response is, oh, don't worry, I have more. Yeah. And like, that is really funny. And it also demonstrates that he is a monster because his concern is not, you just swallowed glass. It's, oh, no, 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 don't worry, I have plenty.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of those of sort of clever ways to simultaneously, like, make it very clear what's actually going on here and not make you sit in watching abuse for an hour
1: or at least not abuse that she is interpreting that way and like fighting against and screaming right so it's a uh, uh, i i it's kind of a for the most part a pretty pleasant movie to watch and i was really mad about that <laughs> Because Leslie Howard is a really, really good Henry Higgins.
0: I don't know. I'm less mad about it because I think the reason he is good is that he gets across a thing about Henry Higgins that what pisses me off about most versions of this is that most versions of it don't really care that he's abusive. think that's his charming quirk, you know? Right. And like, I'm not angry that he gave a performance that was pleasant to watch, because the thing that makes it pleasant to watch is he actually understands Henry Higgins as a character. And what that means is he understands Henry Higgins is a monster.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think the director got that too, which is why the ending feels so Unearned.
0: Yeah, that's sort of what I was saying about, like, why don't they just cut those lines? And I know the answer is, they're some of the best lines in the movie. Eliza talking about, like, now I'm no better than a streetwalker, at least I was a flower girl before, is like, that's, it's great. But it also just makes the last two minutes of this seem totally tacked on and artificial and bizarre. And like it comes from a completely different movie because it does like it. It's just a thing they tacked on to the end of the rest of the movie.
1: I didn't love the ending. Yeah, And there are some bits in between that are difficult to watch, but that are not. There are some times where Eliza is really upset because she goes to be his little prancing show pony and realizes, I mean, the first time when she comes home from his mother's house that she like didn't pull it off. And then the second time that this is it, this is the end of the bet and the end of her experience here. And I really felt for her. I thought that Wendy Hiller was tremendously good. She really was very, very sympathetic to me.
0: I agree. I mean, I think both leads, I really started off going like, Boy, this is going to be kind of a disaster. (laughs) I think the worst Wendy Hiller is, is her Cockney accent. I mean, she's doing better than I did. But still, she she really starts to come alive in that scene at Henry's mom's house.
1: Oh my god, I lost
0: it. She's great. From then on, she's fantastic. It's not quite like, what is she going for here, but it it's really that there's like no nuance there until then, right? That she's just hitting the cockney button as hard as she can over and over again, which is what, I mean, it's what is asked of her. It's not her fault. It's just that I had no idea she had any range until she had a chance to show some. Yes. And similarly, I think Leslie Howard starts off playing Henry Higgins as like Sherlock Holmes if you weren't sure why people don't punch him in the throat every five seconds like he's the cleverest guy in the room and everyone needs to know and I'm gonna point my pipe at you and tell you and like there's no sense of charisma to the guy there's no sense of like in My Fair Lady there's this sense of like people think this is a fun party trick and here there is no sense of people finding it a fun party trick That he can tell you where you're from, from your accent.
1: No, everybody is kind of like, oh, yeah, that's your weird, annoying thing you do.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And so for the first like 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be really bad. Our two leads are both bad. But then both of our two leads are actually fantastic. Leslie Howard and Wendy Hillier are, I think, do great work in this movie and really carry it through parts where, you know, this is a pretty straight adaptation. There's only a couple of things that are really added from the play. But like some of the stuff that's added and some of the stuff that was there before at least can be played very badly, can be played as like, this is just a charming light comedy. And neither of them do that. Which is very good.
1: The ball scene is entirely created for the film. Like, it's referenced in the play. And that, for me, was actually one of the finest bits of Leslie Howard's acting. Because he's watching this happen, and he's seeing that his creation, as he likes to think of her, is pulling this off. And he's afraid that she's not going to do it. And then every time that she does... You can see in him this level of pride, even though he's very anxious about whatever the next test she's going to encounter is going to be. Mm -hmm. But you can also see underneath all of that, that he's a little bit sad because it's like, Oh, I pulled it off, which means she's going to be gone. Oh, she's getting all this attention. She's dancing with other people. People are totally taken with her. And like, But she was mine.
0: Yeah, I think even more it's that second thing that you can see of like every once in a while she pulls something off and you can see a like why she getting credit like why like why
1: I did this right? But if he says that, then the jig is up and then he actually loses because (laughs) she is revealed.
0: Right. Well, and also there is an element of like, did you, bro? Did you? I mean, like, obviously, yes, for a lot of it, but like, th- I mean, this is one of that the points in that very last scene is sort of like, can you honestly say this is like 100% you? She's doing this really, really hard thing that she is bringing something to it. To me, the thing in that scene that we kind of skipped over is the end thing that everyone settles on because the authoritative guy says it is Hungarian royalty, but everybody's got a story about who she is. Right. Two of the women are like, she's a movie star. She's got to be a movie star.
1: She's a duchess. She's this. She's that. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so there is this sense of she is not only meeting expectations she's exceeding expectations and that actually bothers him <laughs>
1: yeah and there comes a point where you can see that he almost wants her to be found out because it's like she's now the most interesting person in the room
0: yeah i know you are right i've like like i said went down the wikipedia rabbit hole but it is bonkers to me that that scene is invented for the movie like i structurally i get it structurally i get that you everything you need plot wise Henry Higgins says at the start of the scene when they get back of how it went, and it's a good place for an act break. But like, it is crazy to me because it's where the class comedy is most effective. It's where you get to see what makes her Galtea most effectively. Um, that, 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 like it, it, it does a bun. That scene's great. That's really, I guess what I'm getting at, is like, that scene's just fucking fantastic. That whole section is great.
1: It is really quite wonderful. And it's really beautifully shot. Her gown for the ball is extraordinary. Everybody looks good. The set is nice. The way that they handle the various rumors that go around as like little interjections throughout the night that separate sort of every conversation and show the passage of time. It's a really, really masterfully directed scene. I got to give Anthony Asquith some credit there because even though they threw in this crap ending, it is a really well directed film.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think really all the like direction direction is in that scene. I mean, not all of it, but like Leslie Howard also has a directing credit here. And I kind of want to throw him under the bus on the directing a little and say, like, a lot of this is just shot like we're doing a movie of a play. Like a lot of the stuff at Henry's apartment is very standing setty. Occasionally, one of the things that makes this movie tonally kind of weird is it occasionally looks like a 50s sitcom. That is mostly in the, like, stuff at Henry's apartment. In this same one or two sets for a lot of the play slash film.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I can can see that. I was thinking more along the lines of the directing of the actors than like the cinematography. Sure. But you're not wrong. I mean, like that's part of being a film director is staging shots.
0: Yes, and- if we are talking about, like, actor directing and not positioning the camera directing, you're absolutely right. That's just great throughout.
1: I mean, to the point where even though I hate the ending, it... I'm not... I I don't want to come off like I'm defending it, because I'm not. It's wrong. It's the wrong ending. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way in My Fair Lady. It's garbage. But... <laughs> The way that Leslie Howard delivers the line, the fact that the shot is of the back of his head and him like kicking back in the chair, reading the paper and smoking his pipe instead of looking at his face, I think was a really, really cool choice. It it, it just, I hate that she comes in and she says nothing. And we've just gotten to the point where she has found her voice that he is... He has decided that he gave her a voice because he taught her how to pronounce words correctly. But actually now she's speaking to him in the voice he thinks that he gave her and is saying what she feels and what she believes in standing up for herself. And so to have her come in and say absolutely nothing and give him the last word is very infuriating. But the shot is
0: great. (laughs) The shot is great. The ending is infuriating. I mean, I keep jokingly bringing up She's All That, but like, I bring it up because it does actually like, I do think the thing you're sort of, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. And if so, I'm sorry. And this is just what I think.
1: No, go ahead. I'll tell you if I, (laughs) I know Eliza Doolittle.
0: My reaction to the ending was like, well, of course the audience wants the two of them to get together. They shouldn't. The right ending is that she doesn't come back, but like of course the audience wants them to get together. And the actual solution is don't make that attacked on ending. Make it the right ending that they end up together. Push the part where she becomes a fully realized person to the end of act two. And And then he
1: apologizes. Yes.
0: Have the whole of act three be about the reversal where he has to change to be a person that she would be in love with. Yeah. Then you've got yourself a story where the two of them can make out at the end. But I do agree or am making up for myself that that, like, this is a frustrating movie in the sense that you do kind of want them to get together, even though, you know, They shouldn't get together because Henry Higgins is a fucking monster.
1: I think really what it is is less that, like, I I do want them to get together, but I want them to get together because I want that reversal. I want Henry Higgins to also have a renaissance as a human being and become someone else and be reborn as not a complete fucking <laughs> snob and piece of shit and manipulative bastard. And you don't get it.
0: No, you don't. And, like... I get, you know, as an artist sticking to your guns, I get why Shaw wrote it this way. I am not going like, you got to water it down. But I also spend all of Act 3 going like, when's this guy going to get it? When's he going to, like, put it together and stop being such an asshole? It is so frustrating to watch him never get it and never stop being an asshole. Um, and then it's even more frustrating when he just gets what he wants anyway. But yeah, you want the reversal. You want to watch him have to fight for her. And he just doesn't.
1: No, he just fights her.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs>
1: Which, yeah, I mean, we've harped on this ending enough. The point is that it's a very beautiful, very well made movie that is acted impeccably well written. And I expected none of that what I expected was the ending throughout and for that to be the way that I felt the whole time.
0: Yeah, I really get that. I really think this beats expectations. It's also, I think, a movie that despite heaping a lot of praise on it, I mean, if we're getting to let's rate this movie, I'm not sure I'm going to rate it super high. I'm not going to like give it a three or something, but it's great. It's great. It's great. The acting is great. There's some great shots. There's a really great class comedy scene. The last two minutes aren't great. Suggests like Eight or nine, where I'm thinking more like six or seven. I
1: mean, I can't in good conscience give it an eight or nine because what it has done has set up throughout... I mean, how long is this movie? An hour and a half? Yeah. So for 88 minutes of it, it has set up the growth and the blossoming of this person who is extremely self-conscious and doesn't think much of herself into being somebody who, even in the face of literal violence... Stands up for herself. And that's a really incredible story. And it pierces the self inflated ego of Henry Higgins, and that his denial of the fact that she actually won is a comment on how he's delusional and not a very good person. And then it completely takes all of that away from you in the last two minutes, which makes it in the end, not a good film because it killed its own story. Yeah. So like, I think a six is a totally right.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I like, I, I have nothing to add to what you just said. It is almost more frustrating for having been a good movie for 88 minutes. Yeah. Because the ending so thoroughly undercuts it. I think a 6, I think.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm going to say a 6.
0: Unless you're planning to do a Pygmalion adaptation of some kind where You really want to see a good Henry Higgins? Don't watch this movie?
1: Other caveat, you could watch this movie, but you could end it when Eliza walks out of the house and just be like, oh, that was a great film.
0: I mean, honestly, she drives off into the sunset. Yeah. She drives off into the sunset with another dude and just shut off the movie. And you will have a good time. You
1: know, part of me feels like that must have been the intended ending and then like a studio head or somebody watched it and went like, oh, well, it can end that way. They got to get together, even though this was in England.
0: (laughs) I forget where it says it, but it says that's what Shaw thought the ending was going to be. Shaw believed when he went to the screening that they had worked out this way where you were going to spend a little more time watching Henry Higgins be self-satisfied in having brought his statue to life. And confident she was going to come back. Right. And then the last thing you see is her driving off. And then you get to have this ambiguous ending of, is she going to come back or not? And then he goes to the screening and she fucking just walks back on screen. (laughs) And... Um,
1: Yeah, I mean, it feels that level of tacked on. Yeah. Because it's one thing to have her walk out and you don't see her drive off into the sunset with another man. (laughs) But like, that's an ending.
0: Yeah. And it's honestly, you can I'd even spot you that scene of him walking back to his place in a daze, though that makes it kind of more of a weird bummer ending. I mean, I really do think you could get away with the Shaw ending of just let everybody in the audience that thinks they ought to make out be sure they're going to get back together someday. They're wrong.
1: And let everybody else go, good, that fucker got his comeuppance and he doesn't even know it.
0: Right. If you're in the market for a Pygmalion adaptation... Everything but the last two minutes of this one's quite good.
1: If you're in the market for a Pygmalion adaptation, you should watch the one and only season of Selfie, which was fantastic.
0: (laughs) Yes. Fuck. God, I... God, that show was good.
1: They should not have named it Selfie.
0: No, of course not. No.
1: That was what ruined it. I mean, I get it, but it was so like, oh, look how au courant we are. We called it Selfie. It was like one step short of calling it hashtag selfie.
0: I really wish I had enough industry connections to, uh, because periodically there's a thing like that where I'm just sure it must be one guy that like, there was that five-year period where every ABC show got like a new title and every one of them was garbage. Like Blackish was the single best title they came up with for any program for five years. (laughs) And it's not a very good title. For good show, but not a very good title. And similarly, there was that whole period where every single show on USA, even though all of them were like spy shows, genre shows, we're all going to space now. All of them had to have their estranged mother as like a weird side character that had to be shoehorned into like every plot. And it's like, what executive had a bad relationship with their mom and reconciled? (laughs) What happened?
1: Anyway, selfie. It's really good and you should totally watch it. And And it has Karen Gillen and John Cho and uh, it's freaking adorable.
0: It's also the closest to the give John Cho a romantic lead part that like, give John Cho romantic lead parts. John Cho is a handsome man.
1: Give him all of them. Yeah. He's so good as a romantic lead and he's just delightful in that show. That was really like one of my major reasons that I hated to see it end was like, oh, but I want to see when they actually get together. Yeah. (laughs) And that show is like, he frequently gives her the credit for becoming a better person. Yeah. And he becomes less of a snob and a stick in the mud because of her and credits her with that. And it's really, really lovely. You know, if you've already seen, she is all bad.
0: Yeah, the single best Pygmalion adaptation. But honestly, it does figure a lot of things out for how to do a Pygmalion adaptation, which is wild to think about.
1: I mean, I think that movie's phenomenal. So you know,
0: I always make fun of that film because the the scene where they establish the Pygmalion thing is the single most when they're like, "Her, pick anyone else in the school, pick the pick the ugliest, dumbest girl you've ever met, not Rachel Lee Cook with her hair up
1: <laughs> and glasses on." Yeah,
0: it's like, I think you'll be fine, dude. I think she'll pull it off. <laughs>
1: It's probably going to work out okay for you. Yeah. So next week is our final film of 1938, The Citadel. Yeah. That's pretty much all I can tell you about it, because it's an English film with no one I've ever heard of.
0: I am dreading this one only because this is really the last time that I can have really screwed up bad, pushing so hard for the Bengal Lancer card early.
1: This is the test.
0: Yeah, this is where I figure out if I really screwed up on Jezebel or not, because I was the one pushing for that. Then we get into, again, there could be, you know, I've never really watched, like, Ninochka. I don't know really much about Love Affair. There could be bad stuff in the future, but, like, it seems like we would at least be able to talk about, like, how did this shit movie get made in a year with all these great films after this? So we we will see next week. Whether I screwed up real bad or not.
1: Well, I I hope not, because otherwise I also am going to suffer for it.
0: Yes, but at least you'll be able to go, God damn it, David, over and over again.
1: I'm not a huge fan of cutting off my nose to spite my face.
0: That's that's fair.
1: So tune in next week to see if David cut off my nose to spite his face. (laughs) And until then...
0: This was such a weird adaptation of Selfie. I don't know what they were thinking.
1: (laughs) John Cho would have, I mean, Leslie Howard was good, but John Cho would have been better.
0: Absolutely. Good night, everybody. Bye,
1: everybody. Goodbye, all. Excuse
0: me, Miss Doodittle, but uh, would you be walking across the park? Because if so, I- Walk?
1: Not bloody likely. I'm going in a taxi.